Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Road to Recovery podcast. This podcast is a platform for education, discussion, and conversations on mental health. I'm your host, Amira Shah, and in this podcast, you'll get to know more about the therapeutic process, insight into life from the perspective of the psyche, and also join me in exploring current issues with other practitioners. I specialize in grief, but I'm always interested in learning about the human experience of the mind, heart, and spirit. So join me on this journey of in-depth learning about ourselves and the world we live in. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are going to explore the myths around grief. Grief is such a universal experience, yet it's so misunderstood. And again, let's remind ourselves that grief is not only about losing someone you love to death. We grieve over so many things because the reality of life is in its transitions and impermanence. We can grieve over so many life events like a miscarriage, the loss of employment, security or stability, some major rejections, the end of a relationship or a divorce, addictions, incarcerations, uh, where you lose freedom and connection, uh, when you have a diagnosis of a chronic illness, you lose the certainty of your ability, the planned future, you lose abilities to do things with the people you love, you lose the confidence of being able to do certain things yourselves. And this is why I'm a huge advocate for dispelling myths around grief because such ideas can have an effect that diminishes or disenfranchises the experience of someone grieving. This means that these myths can rob the griever from the right and the privilege to grieve over what he or she deems meaningful and important, the way he or she feels like she needs or he needs to grieve for however long it needs to be. And why this is important is because if grief is not recognized by others, there's a higher chance of being in inner turmoil with the confusing thoughts and emotions that are not validated, they're not recognized by other people. And this becomes very isolating and even more upsetting as if grief itself is not upsetting enough. Um, grievers can start second-guessing themselves, which adds to confusion. And that cocktail brewing for a period of time can end up looking like depression. So let's understand a few things about grief a little better. The first myth, everyone grieves in stages. In the late 60s, Dr. Kubler-Ross, she interviewed some people facing death and five stages emerged from her studies based on how they coped with facing a certain death. I'm sure many of you have heard of these stages. Uh, they are denial, anger, bargaining or negotiating, depression, and acceptance. And if you'd like to learn more about them, look up the stages of grief. 
They're very helpful, they're very informative, and it gives you a, a background, a framework of conceptualizing grief. She is somewhat like the mother of grief theories in a psychological setting um, in the modern era. But the issue with this concept or these stages is that it was developed around people facing death and how they coped with it. So of course these elements are very, very applicable and relatable, but it doesn't reflect all types of grief and it's also not in succession or in stages. If you've ever been through grief, you will know that there is no formula or no trajectory that grief follows. It is a hell of a roller coaster, and they're so different from the stages. Sometimes they can just ambush you at any time, whatever stage that wants to ambush you, and you have no control over it. So the fact is, no, grief does not follow stages. It is not linear, and it's different for everyone. And every grief experience is also different. What's interesting as well is the fact that David Kessler and Kubler-Ross recently, um, I think it was a few, two to three years ago, recently published a revision stating all those things I've mentioned and included another component to grief, uh, which is meaning. And if any of you listeners know me even a little bit, you'll know I'm all about meaning. I'm... Yeah, well, I'm researching meaning-making in bereavement right now as a very unlucrative career path because that's how invested I am in it. But I'll leave that for another podcast. The key takeaway here is that everyone grieves differently and there's no right or wrong way. For this reason, researchers like myself and practitioners, we steer clear from using the term stages of grief when it comes to dealing with people um, and grief. Myth number two, women grieve more than men. Well, okay, women are more expressive and it is more acceptable for women to be emotionally expressive than men. It's a social construct to an extent. But let's not accuse or be arrogant towards those who grieve silently or privately. The science tells us that both men and women generally go through similar grief phases and for some, maybe due to gender or personality or culture, maybe more emotionally expressive, some may write, some do art or music, some meditate, some rationalize it, and some are spiritual about it. So no, women don't grieve more than men. Perhaps just differently. Myth number three, if you're not crying, you're not really affected. The fact is that crying is not necessary for grief. If you think about it, some people cry out of joy, frustration, anger, exhaustion, relief. And you can feel these emotions and not have crying to accompany them as well. So, for example, I can feel anger and frustration but not cry about it. 
So likewise, you can grieve and be utterly devastated, but the lack of tears doesn't mean you're not grieving, doesn't mean you're sad enough or that there's something wrong with you. In fact, there there are people who have come to me and said that I'm not crying. Um, I don't seem to be able to produce any tears. What's wrong with me? I am sad about this. And I'd like to say that you don't need tears to show your sadness because only you know what you know. And if you know you're grieving, if you know you're absolutely shattered by the loss, then I trust you to trust you because you know you best. With crying as well, um, we have to keep in mind that some cultures do frown upon crying. And some people may have learned uh, not to cry from young, especially men or boys. You know the line, boys don't cry. And we know that this is a bit of a stereotype, but there is a bit of a truth in it. It was and might still be taught to be the way men should behave when it comes to grief and mourning. Also, the learned ideals can be for the male to withstand tears because... It represents strength and courage for some cultures and for some people to be able to do the heavy lifting for others, to provide the shoulder for others to cry on, um, others who have shared that loss and who appear to be more emotionally overwhelmed with grief. And that might be a good thing. Plus, maybe, maybe crying is not the right thing for the moment either. Maybe anger is, or numbness, or joy, or relief. These are all very significant and valid parts of grief as well. So it's not only about the tears. The tears spilled are in no way a measurement of the pain of the loss. Myth number four. The first year is the hardest. Well... The fact is, the reality is, grief is hard. And there's no timestamp on it. We as humans seem to need to have some form of certainty or control with most things. And I guess this is how we evolved, where uncertainty equals to threat. And we need to minimize that in order to survive. Um, so it seems like we as a race, we hate surprises, actually. It stresses us out and we can't seem to handle it too well. Of course, I'm generalizing. Um, and if we know, even if it's a known evil, we can go to sleep knowing that things will be awful tomorrow. At least we know it will be awful. But if we don't know what will happen tomorrow, chances of us going to bed peacefully or even be, being able to go to sleep might be a little bit less and again, I'm just saying I'm, I'm generalizing here. So similar, similarly with grief, we want to know when it will stop hurting so bad, so much, so constantly, because grief is suffering. It makes sense. It makes sense to want to have the idea and cling on to any idea of when the suffering may potentially subside or end. And unfortunately for us, the phrase time heals can't really be taken literally. When people say it gets better over time, 
That saying is probably better in the context of a breakup rather than a death or a bereavement. Because with death or bereavement, it's more like it's more like the healing happens because over time we find a way, we relearn how to exist and live without who or what we have lost. The reason why the first year is said to be hard is because it's the year of firsts. Now I know it's a pretty convoluted statement, but hear me out. I'm going to give you two examples, but it will be the first time you will go through all these occasions in the calendar year differently. So we'll take a non-death example of grief. Say you're grieving over being displaced. You can no longer return to your home country and you're set up in a new place. Yes, you have food, water, shelter and all that, but you're away from everything you've ever known you don't know the language as much or the culture or the people and you are away from the people you love. You've suddenly lost your bearings in life, not only geographically, and maybe confidence and whatever it is that you've built before is gone and cannot be retrieved. And now you have to start from scratch in what seems to you like no man's land. So the first Christmas or religious holiday or birthday or birth of a child or Independence Day might be really hot to stomach. It will bring back a lot of memories and you might be filled with nostalgia and sadness. Now imagine the loss of a spouse or a child or a parent to death. Birthdays anniversaries, holidays, Valentine's Day, weddings, wedding anniversaries, funerals, funeral anniversaries, they're all going to be painfully alien in the first year. And a lot of ambushing happens as well. Um, and in the next year, the second year onwards, it'll still be painful, no doubt, but just a little less alien because we have somehow relearned how to live with the loss and we kind of know what to expect around certain times. Another reason why people say the first year is hard is because that's when the highest reporting of deteriorating health mental health, sleep problems, hormone imbalances, anxiety attacks, depression, and even PTSD emerge. These are clinical complications where essentially the body's chemistry is out of whack from the stress induced by the grief and manifests in different ways, especially if it's not addressed. We can actually explore the neuroscience behind grief in upcoming podcasts in how it relates to stress but going back to where we were talking about the clinical manifestations these can go unnoticed for longer than a year as well because you or the people around you might think that it's part of the grieving process um, and kind of let it slide as grief 
So this is where it is important to trust on some intuition, um, whether it is you that is grieving or someone that you know that is going through grief and perhaps speaking about it and learning a little bit about the grieving process. The last myth I'm going to talk about today is how some people don't seem to be able to get over grief. So firstly, if one would consider himself or herself to have compassion, I would invite you to consider revisiting the utility of this phrase of getting over grief. Many experts and also humans who have loved and lost in life agree that you never get over it, but rather you carry it with you in the new way you have relearned to package it. And instead of moving from it, you move forward with the grief. So you move forward acknowledging the loss, the loss of the places or the circumstances of the people you loved. But of course, sometimes we just need a little bit of a hand with grieving because it can be extremely overwhelming. And some of us do not have the luxury of time and space to be able to take the months and seasons off to grieve and mourn and cry and laugh and go through all the motions of madness. And with life's daily demands, we find that we are pushed back into the race of life, whether we like it or not. And that can potentially make things worse. It can be helpful, but um, it can also make things worse because there is this theory called the dual processing of grief where we alternate or rather oscillate between loss-oriented activities and restoration-oriented activities where the loss-oriented component consists of, I guess, doing things that commemorate the loss and crying and feeling the feelings, whereas the restoration activities are around life and logistics and practicalities and daily activities. So it's said that our brains are not able to stay in one stage, not one stage, um, one component or one, yeah, one area too long because it kind of it's, it's too much of a stress. So if you continue staying in the loss-oriented activities for too long, um, you obviously neglect everything that is happening around you in life and in the world. And the brain kind of automatically pulls you out of that at some point because the suffering is too much and physiologically it can't handle it. Whereas if you spend a lot of time in the restoration activities and dealing with life and not acknowledging the loss or the grief, then that becomes a bit of a different type of problem. So that kind of problem can make things really 
challenging mentally, spiritually, cognitively, and emotionally when we can't have that space to process. And so we push on and somehow suffering inside one way or another. So we really need to acknowledge what's happening with us when we grieve and pay a little bit of attention to it. Some things we can do to help are, as mentioned in my previous podcast, social support. Uh, Social support is so important and I'm also a huge advocate for it because when people know that you're grieving and when you know that someone is grieving, the society helps ensure the griever sleeps, eats, gets some fresh air and movement. Uh, Social support also helps keep an eye out for regularly reaching out for alcohol or other substances, keeping you in check. Um, There's someone out there uh, or some people out there watching you, knowing that, yes, it's okay to kind of drown your sorrows in some sort of substances sometimes or food or whatever it is, but there's nothing wrong in that. But we just have to keep it in check just to make sure that it doesn't become a problem. It's also important to carve out some form of routine, and I think many of us are pretty good at that right now. Given with COVID and lockdown, we all experienced losses of so many types, and we've grieved in so many strange ways because of that. So routine helps. Some people find pets very healing. Some take time off or go away for a while. And it depends on the individual to find his or her own way to honor the loss and what it is that the loss represented, what it meant in life and in future, I guess. And craft some form of personal way to connect and to commemorate and remember. But I do want to mention that this This form of ritual or private commemoration or prayer or whatever it is, um, is something that comes with time, months and maybe even years. It's something that tends to eventually happen when your heart is in less of an emotional chaos and some of the dust begins to settle. And we also know by now that most adverse life events, grief being one of the major ones, they are transformative. So you can end up growing from it or you might go through some obstacles or some challenges, a bit of a hiccup in trying to get through it before you get to the growth growth part. And we can only hope that It doesn't lead us down to a path of destruction. Um, So another thing that, well, another transformative thing that is positive that comes out of grief is benevolence. And I'm sure many of you are aware of all these fundraisers and spokespeople, ambassadors for charities of cancers and 
various terminal illnesses, support groups, and founders of, um, well, not founders, sorry, volunteers. Um, these are people who have lost loved ones to these illnesses and have dedicated part of their lives to honor them and to do something out of it and to help other people. But when grief, like I mentioned, follows a less normal path, um, where you start to see there might be a few hiccups, it can end up becoming a little bit complicated or prolonged where the daily functioning is challenging even after many, 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 many moons. And this is when grief counseling is beneficial. And there's nothing wrong with that because sometimes the loss is so profound or sudden or the circumstances around the loss are so traumatic that it leaves you in a state where you can't even seem to put the pieces of your brain together, let alone your heart. And I've been on both sides of the room where I've been the helper and I've also been helped in grief and bereavement. And I have to say I am grateful that such help exists because sometimes the circumstances of grief can really make you feel less sane. The lack of understanding compounded with isolation. And when I say isolation, I mean it in a literal and a relative sense. And even trauma, when you throw trauma into the mix, these things, they don't make a good combination. But... The big but is that there are really compassionate people out there. People who have made it their profession to heal the wounds that cannot be seen by the naked eye. So if you or someone you know is currently struggling with grief, please reach out to each other. And also feel free to reach out to me on Facebook at Road to Recovery or follow me on Instagram at a wrote two that's number two recovery where you can write to me or ask questions i'd love to hear from you um, i'd love to help if i can i'm also a counselor so i do offer counseling in person or via zoom and i want to thank everyone for tuning in today i hope that clears up some myths of grief and perhaps next week, we might just dabble into some chemistry and neuroscience. So until then, have a lovely week ahead and we shall speak soon. Bye!